Hello and welcome to Grid Talk, your weekly RC racing podcast with your host myself, Russell Lee, and as always, the fantastic Chris Bowden. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing all right, mate. Looking forward to tonight. Cool, cool. Let me thank the sponsors for a massive thank you to CML Distribution, Schumacher Racing and Will Speed, the companies that keep us on air every week and to throw us a few prizes at Christmas. Guys, thank you very much for your continued support. So, Chris, no messing tonight. Straight in with Andrew Salvaggi. Would you like to give yep. him an intro? Uh, well, do you want to get him on first? Are you there, Andrew? Yeah, g'day guys, how you there going? You go. Not too bad, mate, how are you? Yeah, doing all right. Uh, early morning here in uh, in Australia, so thank yeah. you for getting me on and out of bed nice and early. Yeah, you can be productive for the day now. Um, That's it. So, just an introduction for our uh, our regular listeners. This is Andrew Salvaggi. He is a racer from Australia. He's a former Australian national champion and the Australian team manager for Team Associated. So we thought we'd get you on this week. Uh, Obviously, you've had some time now to play around with the B6.4, so we can talk about your findings a bit later on with that. Um, But as you know, we like to get involved first by doing a bit of a deep dive into your RC history, going back right from the very first day you realised that this was a crazy hobby that we all come to love. So do you want to take us back to that first day? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll try and give you the abridged version because uh, I feel like I could talk for ages about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm from Australia in, uh, in a city called Melbourne, so kind of like the southeast of Australia, um, the most southeast point of Australia. Um uh, you might remember it from uh, like the lockdowns a couple of years ago, where uh, I think we're all over the news saying you know the most lockdown city you know in in the whole world. So that's that was uh, that's where I live. Um, so we've got a lot of time on our hands to to get and do a lot of bench racing. So uh, yeah, I'm from I'm from Melbourne. Um, and back in I'd say at a stretch 2001. Um, I, uh, I first kind of saw what RC cars were like my, my best mate at school, he, uh, he got a Tamiya RTR car with like, you know, the, the bog stock, you know, Subaru WRX rally body on it. So, you know, it was as far as like a, an RC car, it wasn't amazing, but you know, someone who'd never seen an RC car, it was like. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So like most kids, I wanted to get into it too and copy my mate. And uh, it just so happened we had a family friend who uh, used to race RC down here in the 80s and 90s. Um, and uh, and I got my first car off him when I was, I'd say, 13 years old. Um, and that was a very, very secondhand uh RC10B2, so uh, you know that car was already seven years old by the time I'd, I'd got it off him. Um, and like within the first day, I'd burn out a com, I'd killed two cells on the battery packs that I'd that I'd been given, and I'd reverse polarity the speed controller, and that was kind of my introduction to RC itself. Um, and that's how I kind of got my my first car. Um, and uh, and yeah. A family friend told us about a, a there's a racetrack near us, so I uh, so we went to uh, now my home track, uh, 
kill or RC. You might have seen it on Facebook, or um, it's a it's an outdoor track near near Melbourne, Australia. And uh, yeah, I, like most people uh, that just get into get into the hobby, I'd turned up to the first club day, and I can kind of still vividly remember rocking up to the track. Um, and it was like a very it was a summer's day. It was really hot and really windy. Um, and I got out of the car and. There was about 50 guys there, all RC, doing, you know, uh, truing comms, balancing and discharging batteries, rebuilding shocks, gluing tyres. And, and I, I was like a deer in headlights when, the, you know, when I first turned up to the track, I was like, what is this thing that I've, uh, that I've got to? So it was very intimidating, um, my first time going to the track. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it was it was really really amazing uh, to to kind of see what it was all about, um, yeah. So that, that's kind of like how I got into it, and you know, like my first car. Um, but uh, but yeah, I um, I initially I had a passion for motorsport growing up when I was young. Um, I was always into Formula One, and down here we've got a, a racing series called like V8 Supercars, so like a, like a sedan based racing series. Holden versus um, but, Ford. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, nailed it. Um, yeah. Soon, soon to be GM versus Ford because um, Holden's pulling out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, I'd had this massive passion for motorsport, but um, I've uh, I've got a, a medical condition where I um, I can't play any contact sports or anything like that. Um, so the the next best thing to motorsport for me was. RC and just by happenstance, you know, my, my friend got the car, an RC car. I knew someone who knew someone. I bought a secondhand car and then suddenly I was thrust into this RC community back when I was 13. And, uh, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was really awesome. I, I remember turning up to the track and I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm home, if that made sense. And I, I found an outlet. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was all the way back. 22 21 years ago now um so it's a stretch of my memory but um yeah that's kind of how i got into rc yeah i think um yeah it is a great i think like you say it is a passion for all of us isn't it we all kind of we gravitate to it i mean i had some time off earlier this year and you, you you don't realize how much you miss it do you until you've uh until it's gone Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Like it's um, it's one of those things that I think when you when you're doing it week in week out, you go, oh, you know, yeah, it becomes like a part of everyday life, and you you don't really appreciate it um, until you step back a bit and go, oh wow, that that's a massive part of my life, and I use that to balance me out, and you know, it's an outlet or things like that. So it's um, yeah, it's definitely one of those ones that where you can it it's it's you can you can step back and go wow this is it's a lot of fun but also it's uh you know it it adds a adds a another hobby to your toolkit and you can you can go and enjoy or turn off you know like i know i don't know about you guys but when you go to the track it's like nothing else matters you you forget about everything else and it's just you know racing so that's what i love about it yeah and of course um well obviously we've been talking sort of messaging backwards and forwards and we've both got a uh, a love for an older rc10 the b3 yeah so yeah do you still have any of those cars from when you 
back in the day? I I do. So yeah, I mean, like I mentioned that. Um, yeah, my my first car was a B two. You know, uh, I think within three club races, I'd bought that conversion kit to go. Remember, they back then they had the conversion yes. to to go from the B two to the B three. So yeah. I converted my old B two to a B three, um, and I've still got that car till till this day. So it's um yeah, what started life as a B two now is a B three, uh, and it's got all of the all of the modern stuff in it to uh to run in vintage class i don't know what how you guys are over there but we have a fairly large vintage scene down here it's, um, it's, wild, it's yeah. gone crazy um, <laughs> it's, it's gone yeah. absolutely crazy. even if it's not vintage or even if it's rear motored it's it's it, it, it's being raced now <laughs> yeah it yeah, have to oh, be vintage through through lockdown oh. prices went absolutely crazy like previously you were getting a b4 for under 100 quid second hand under 100 pound and now you know you're back up to like almost what they were brand new for second hand cars um yeah things like the predator the t-tech predator and if you ever got them emerge over there they're going for like thousands yokomo dog fighters are up to about 700 now wow yeah, it's it. There's there's those um. You see like the unicorn cars out there now, like the RC10, you know, like the MIP full drive conversion kits, you know, cars yeah. and all of that that are just insane. You see them online for five thousand, you know, US dollars, things like that. Yeah. It's you know, just you can't believe you, you know, that the, the cars that sat on the shelves or in the back of the garage collecting dust are uh, worth that these days. So it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yeah no it's um, I, I keep I try to keep a lot of my old cars um, so you know I've, I've got the uh, you know like a B three B four you know B five six seven yeah so I try and keep all of those old old kind of sentimental cars um, and, uh, and make sure I never never forget about them and you know kind of keep them on a shelf and that's it so it's um it's it's something that's pretty cool and i admittedly through lockdown got the opportunity to to restore a lot of them like uh it seemed like every second person was doing uh was uh doing a restoration project so i I joined that fad as well so obviously you say you converted that uh, b2 to a b3 how far into the hobby did that take you did it take i don't I don't really know the racing structure in Australia. Over here, we have like yeah. club races, then regionals, and then from regionals, you can qualify for our nationals. Yep. So, yeah. Do you just have big club races, or do you have sort of more localized, bigger meetings? Yeah, it, it, it's a mix of both, and I think our structure is very similar to you guys. But I mean, I, I remember when when I first ran the B three, the B two at the track, right? I it was like. You know, uh, the first race meeting, never driven it on a track, and I I had like a a hand wound twelve double in there. So like you know for you know for the older guys in the sport, that's like equivalent to like an eight and a half these days. Um, and I'd never run on it before, so I went to the track and I could not control this thing. So um, after like my I'd say second or third race, I dropped down to like an entry level class. Um, you know, like the old Johnson 540 silver can motors. Yeah. Um, that is kind of like a beginner class for us. So I dropped down to that um, for, I'd say, a six months to a year. Um, and that, that B3, B2 slash B3 lasted me that period of time. Um, so probably about, you know, nine months to a year. Um, and then 
by that time, I jumped up to kind of say like a stock or brushed stock. So that was like a 27 turn uh, motor. Um, and that I ran that class for, I'd say, six months. And then uh, after that, the B4 came out. So I'd say that first car lasted me probably a year and a half on and off um, just through those uh, those little ranks of, you know, entry-level classes. But uh, we kind of have a structure where we've got regionals like trophy races, like club races. Then um, in each state here in Australia, all the clubs have like a, a state-based series, like kind of trophy races. Um, and then we also have state championships and the national championships. So your state championships, obviously, are for national, uh, you know, state champions um, to to kind of give you. Um, like a national ranking or point system, essentially. So if you win a state championship, you get X amount of points. Um, and then also uh, that those points also get added up to with your nationals ranking as well. And then that gives you overall points to, say, qualify for the Worlds um, and things like that. So it's kind of like club-level, regional-based races, then state-based, and then national championships. So it's kind of like four layers of, of racing structure. Um, and, uh, and I think I got to, I got up to kind of like the state level with that first car, um, running the entry level classes and then, uh, and then went to kind of national level in 2003, really when the B4 came out. So how long was it into sort of racing that you realized you were, you were quite good at this and you wanted to sort of start competing at the higher races and really pushing to get those national rankings? Oh, look, um, if I rewind the clock and I remember like my my second or third race, I I think I'd been, you know, I, I could barely crack. I'd get to four, the four-minute mark of a race and I, I could barely do three or four laps. Like I don't know why, but it just never clicked with me early on. Um, and then suddenly uh, – I can't remember what happened, but there there was a race meet where things instantly clicked and gelled where I could, you know, that kind of that old feeling of you can feel the car through the transmitter. I don't know if you guys, had, you know, have that yeah. phenomena where suddenly you go, oh, oh I think you're going to do this, and then suddenly it does that, you know. Um, and that was probably, I'd say, a year and a half in, so kind of close to, you know, 2002, 2003, just before the B4 came out. And I'm like, this is, you know, I, I can now start seeing what the car's doing and I'm not using all my brain power to, to try and keep the car on track. I can actually think about, oh, I can take a racing line or that's a tighter apex here or, you know, uh, try and down ramp jumps instead of purely just focusing on not spearing off the track. So it, it was kind of – it suddenly clicked a year and a half in um, and then I started to go into that kind of state-based and national-based races in – 0203 um and that was kind of at that you know catalyst point where the b4 came out so it was it kind of felt like new car came out and then also started attending massive um you know state and national base level races so yeah it wasn't a it wasn't something that i did kind of like slowly it just instantly uh went from from just club level to then i want to take this to, to to bigger events so how many people are booked into the bigger events? Because as a captain, 
around 120, but I'm assuming with the population of Australia, how do you how do they cap a national? Is it 200? Is it 100? How many entries do they have? Oh yeah, I I think I think to our biggest nationals or state based championship entry wise, I think it was in the high. 200 or low 300 entry mark um, where I don't think I've ever been to a race where they cap entries um, as far as those big national level events. Um, But uh, generally at a nationals you'll have in any given class, especially say like the stock racing classes, I'd say about 50 to 60 entries in each class. So um, they start capping them once you get to, around 17 to 18 races into in a round um and uh because you start running out of daylight so um yeah they're 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 quite big events historically have been uncapped so you get big big you know attendance big race days you know starting at 7 a.m at daybreak and finishing at 6 p.m in dusk you know and it's uh they're they're big long slogs of, of race meetings i think we we probably have a, a longer structure than what you guys would do over there. We have like you know practice on Friday, qualifying Saturday, racing Sunday for a lot of these big events. So they're big three day events more than anything, and that's all the way down to kind of like your regional races as well. So I think instead of capping entries, they uh, they allow they spread the schedule over more days. Because yeah, I mean, as you have two wheel drive on a Saturday, four wheel drive on a Sunday. And you get yeah. two three-minute practices, four or five-minute qualifiers, and then your final. If you make the A, you get three finals. And we cap ours yeah. at 120. So, it's. I mean, it's a long day. I just we were at one. I was at one just this weekend, and it was, you know, you're starting at seven o'clock in the morning for for booking in, and you're finishing at six o'clock at six o'clock on the evening on a full day. So yeah. we we really cram it in, but you guys seem to almost the same structure as say a world you have it over the three days Mm. yeah and it it depends on the race but generally it's like just open practice first day and then you know practice qualifying and then finals you know that type of structure um personally i'm a fan of like get it all done in one day um but obviously you then have to cut it down to you know everyone would get two qualifiers and two finals or something um which uh you know as racers, we want to be on the track as much as we can. So, um, yeah, I understand why they just spread that out instead of cutting races. Um, but yeah, it sounds like a very similar structure to what um, to what you guys have over there. So, obviously, we mentioned it in the intro. You're um, you're the Australia Team Associated Team Manager. How do you how did you get involved in in that side of the hobby? From it, was there a very natural progression, or did you take on or the roles first and then that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, really good question. I mean, I um, I think I, I, I had a natural affinity to, to helping people. Um, I found out it was something that I was kind of passionate about and I, I felt like I was semi kind of natural at it. Um, but uh, I, had a, I had a break from racing, I'd say, in 2006 um, for, for a good six or seven years. But in that period of that break, my, um, my national uh, – my club, a local club, hosted a national championships um, in 2008, so a couple of years after I stopped racing. And I'd um, – how do I put it? I had fear of missing out 
even though I had no equipment, I didn't want to not go to the event. So that's kind of where I met um, I met Ray Monday for the first time properly, um, and uh, and he was running Associated. I ran Associated before I'd stopped racing. And, uh, and oh, I said, you know what, I'm not going to race, but, hey, mate, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll, I'll pit for you um, and, and work on your car and stuff like that. And he was nice enough to say, yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks for the help. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, amazingly, that event, he won his first national title. Um, so from that moment there, I've gone, you know, wow, I, I can work on cars, I can help people out and get – get really good results and so that was kind of like the catalyst point for like hey I, I think I like this um and uh and then yeah got back into racing in 2012 got familiar with the local distributor team um and then then started kind of doing a lot more of that hey I can help you out uh you know set up advice things like that um and uh and then yeah just kind of by osmosis it all kind of happened i i got approached by the the local distributor team here to say hey um we're we're looking to formalize a a team manager role a little bit more you know we know you like helping people and talking to people um you know did you want to give that a crack and i said yeah that that'd be great um and uh that was that was in 2020 so literally just before you know the world kind of turned upside down um, so I've been doing it the last two years, um, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, have a blast doing it. Yeah, that's cool, man. What what does it involve on a day to day basis? Because I'm sure everybody sees a team manager going round. You know, as we say, Craig does a lot of networking. But what what does it actually involve on a day to day? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the race you're at, but at it, at its bare minimum, obviously, you know, representing representing the company and ensuring that any races that that run that brand, uh, you know, they're they're having a good time at the track, and if anyone needs help, you know, going around asking people if they need some help, or you know, going and watching people uh, race on the track and saying, you know, after a race, saying, hey, you know, good run, or you know, your car looks like it needs X or it needs Y. Um, for, for you know essentially supporting you know people that run the brand um, and then you've got your team team level guys so you know uh, generally the the manager will be responsible for building that team um, and uh, and then coordinating them at large race meetings ensuring everyone's got pit spaces um, everyone's across like base setups for the track um, and then throughout the event it might be uh, coordinating get-togethers to talk about setup or track walks, things like that. So essentially, it's not uh, you know managing a team like you would in a in a workplace, but it's kind of joining all the dots and bringing everyone together at a racetrack and so you know making sure that everyone's comfortable, everyone's happy with setup, and and you're giving everyone the best possible chance to succeed, um, and really creating a team atmosphere and a team vibe where. Everyone's happy to share setup information, and it's it's about uh, the team getting results. Um, and then if we all if we all do well, then you know we, we can lock out more more positions on the grid. You know what I mean? Um, so that it's it's kind of uh, it's a long winded way of saying you know we do a little bit of everything. The role's a little bit organic in that regard. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's it it's it's a it's a lot of fun. Um, and there's no kind of 
you know, position description for it, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's, you need to be whatever you need to be in any given situation. Yes, cool. Yeah. So, what are your favorite? Yeah. What, what, let, let's um, lighten the mood a bit. What's your favorite surface to race on? Oh man, that, that's a really good question, eh? Uh, um, I we have a lot of outdoor tracks here in Australia, so yeah, I, Ke- I would say your lo- Ke- is Keeler your your local club? Yeah, yeah, Keeler's my local club. Um, yeah, we uh, we have. Uh, a lot of clay here in Australia. The, the you know the dirt here is uh, very um, primarily clay based. So we have a lot of outdoor clay tracks here. Um, so I'd say that's my favourite yeah. surface to race on. You know, na- it's 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 a natural dirt. Um, we do have a lot of tracks that are treated as well with like oil, like a binding agent yeah. to make them hold together. Um, but yeah, I, my my favourite is is outdoor kind of blue groove. Um, uh, tracks because that's that's just what we have over here. Um, I mean, I've raced, I've raced in on astro, on carpet, on you know, uh, kind of like a, a sand surface, a sealed sand surface. Um, but yeah, uh, what about you guys? So what's um, what's the, the general? In, in in the UK, we have um, astroturf and um, carpet, and occasionally grass. Very okay. Oh, yeah. There's still a couple of old school clubs around the UK running grass tracks, um, but they're only a want. They basically build a track for the day, and race it, and then track gets taken. The hose gets taken down. You know what I mean? It's not like um, a permanent permanent venue or anything like that. I'm a, I'm an astro, astro then grass, and where possible avoid running indoor on carpet. Yeah, but I'm the opposite. Rest, I, I quite like carpet. the opposite. Yeah. Just likes it indoors comfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, I have to admit, I have to admit, looking at uh, a lot of the guys in the US and uh, you know nice indoor tracks, and it, it does make you a little bit jealous when you're outside on a winter's morning and it's you know minus one degree Celsius. Going, oh, I wish I was had a nice cushy indoor track. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's what makes it fun. Uh, um, is AstroTurf taking off in Australia? Because when we spoke to Ram, he's got to be two years ago probably and he said there was one or two popping up every now and then um what's it like is it, is it much more astro, many people swapping over to astro from the dirt tracks from the maintenance perspective or uh not not at the moment i mean we've got a couple of clubs around the country that that have it um i think it's it hasn't really taken off i think from a club level obviously it's a, it's a big investment initially to to lay out you know astro everywhere um, so, uh, a lot of clubs stick with, with, with natural dirt. Um, but from, from what I can see, some clubs are investigating it, obviously from a maintenance perspective of looking after the track, it's, it's a lot better. Um, but yeah, not, not, not widespread here. I think, I mean, each state's got about five or six tracks, um, in it, you know, and we've, uh, so we've probably got. 30 odd racing tracks for one tenth scale in the, in the country that, are, that I'd call kind of national level tracks. Yeah. And I don't think any of them are, are Astro. Yeah. It's all dirt. What sort of tires, yeah. you, what tires you running on the dirt? Are you, is it J concepts or? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly biased when it comes to this. I'm a, I'm a JC factory racer. So um, yeah, Running uh, like J Concepts, uh, you either go with like a, a pin tire 
like you know your your, your sprinter or um, a double D, yeah. um, you know, kind of like that you know square pin style uh, tire, yeah, um, or a, a bar style tire. So like you know. Uh, back when they first came out, like barcodes or um, or dirt webs, uh, and then now like ellipses, like a bar tire. So we, we kind of it's either pins or bars. Um, it is full treads. You know, we don't obviously we don't run slicks or anything like that here. Um, and uh, and yeah, it's um it's kind of like your old winding back the clock twenty years um, and running a, a natural dirt like yeah. pin tire. Do, do you need any um, gripper on them? Sorry slang um additive on the tires if you ever using the tire oh, so- source yeah yeah source yeah, yeah. tire source yeah yeah um uh, it, it, when we're running bar tires and if we're it's on a like a pure clay treated track and you're running like a clay compound yeah um you can use like source and it it makes a big difference but um at a lot of big events it's it's banned um just purely from like a health perspective um half of them you don't know what's in them and uh they can be bad to breathe and all that type of stuff so most big events they they don't allow them um but it is something at certain tracks you get a massive advantage yeah yeah how about you guys over there what 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 are, um, you, what are you using on like Astro? Do you do you use grip or anything like that? No, no, no additive at all. No, no additive. It's it's probably quite fresh. I mean, we don't we the on road guys use it, but um, off road, I don't think we've even ever considered it. It's it's kind of pointless for us because on the Astro, um, the pin it's it's a pin. It's like a spike, a bit like um, what's the J Concepts equivalent. They're, they're probably a little bit bigger than a like a pin down or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they must not... have the, you must have Schumacher tires over there. Hundred percent. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've had a couple well, of carpet races. The me, yeah, with the mezzos and the, and the darts. Um, yeah, uh, what we what we normally use. Um, but it's very. Yeah. But we found that um, it's 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 weird. You know, like the mesh of the mesh of the astro turf and the mesh of the tire is very simple. Like, you know, like some sometimes you got like on your pinion forty eight DP or sixty four DP. You know how fine it is. Well, I find mm. that the, the the varies on the um, the depth of the astro turf and how the tires mesh better into the um, into the astro that gives you the better grip. Yeah, it it looks like a. I mean, Astro and carpet. Uh, it is a very like tire dependent. You know, what type of tread, and yeah. then are you side bluing sidewalls? You know, that type of stuff. Like it, it looks like it's very. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not even allowed to glue sidewalls. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think yeah. that's com- we are going to be allowed to as of next year. But I mean, what, oh, what are, are, they, really- are they voting on it? Are they? I think so. So how many? I was going to say, how many tyres, sets of tyres would you get through in a day? So if you were just at a club meeting or versus a national, how many would you use at a national versus a club? Uh, all track dependent. Some obviously, if they're like an abrasive blue groove type track and it's a summer's day, you might go through a, a couple of pairs of tyres on a club day. Um, again, depending on how you know aggressive the track is sometimes you can get tracks that have zero tire wear and you can use a pair of tires for a couple of club days um so it's really track dependent but like here in victoria um, you know my state 
usually you'd go to a club day with a pair of tyres um, front and rear and that would last you the day. Um, and then like on a state or national level championship where we have like uh, controlled tyre rules in one-tenth racing. So um, they select a, tra- a tyre and a trade. I think it's the same for you guys over there, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. national level races. Yeah. yeah. So um, they're pretty much every race of budgets for a pair of tyres every second run. Um, and if, if the word gets out that it's a really high wear type r- racetrack, um, everyone starts budgeting for a pair of run. Um, yeah. So you, you'd go to those big events with, you know, say, you know, seven pairs of rears and a couple and seven pairs of fronts, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so would like you a pair already, run. Would you already scrub them in first? Uh, or would you put them on the track fresh? Uh, it, again, also depends. I mean, generally with the pin tyre, uh, you'd you'd have them on, on fresh, yeah. um, you know, nice square edge. Yeah. But generally the tracks that are like a bar style, blue groove, um, you you need to, you know, edge the tyres in. So yeah. you give them a, a scrub in run. It's very it's very track dependent and tyre dependent. Sometimes you can have a mis- mismatched compound to the, to the track and things like that. So it's all just, it's all in the moment, which is quicker. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's one of those kind of, uh, I get envious of seeing, seeing people, um, you know, uh, again, referring to the States, you know, those guys running indoor slicks, you know, it's, it's very, uh, you know, one pair of tires track doesn't change a lot, all that type of stuff. Whereas I think probably the same for you guys in outdoor scene, you've got to almost be like a track whisperer and understand uh, the evolution of the track, what tyre is going to work, what's not. Um, and, uh, and you know, you kind of – it's all about having the right tread. It's, tread it's, I mean, I, I've only got one one car, and I, I use it in wet and dry, but, like, I've got friends who have got wet and dry cars, and they'll be there deciding whether they're going to use the wet car or the dry car or the dry car with wet tyres or the wet car with dry tyres. And, you know, it's just there's so many choices. <laughs> you I know? mean, it, it's at the point – point in the uk now where you kind of at nationals you are forced to put a forced really to put a new set on because the nationals are so tight i mean if you lose a second you drop in five ten places so that tire it might only make a tenth of a second a lap difference but that adds up to that second at the end of your run yeah and because everybody above you puts them on so yeah we're using a full Basically, this weekend at the National, I used um, practice one, five, five. I used 12 full sets of tyres between two wheel and four wheel. Oh, wow. Just because yeah, you had to. It, yeah, and, and that's that's the thing about, you know, competitive racing, whether it's like RC or whether it's, you know, full-size motorsport. Um yeah, you have to do what your competitors are doing. Essentially, you know, uh, if it, if it's a new tire, a new pair every run, and that's what everyone's doing, well, then by virtue you're kind of forced to do that to if, to stay competitive at that top level. Um, and so it's just uh, it's it's a catch twenty two, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm personally I'm all for kind of like capping tire tire quantities and things like that. I think that requires like a governing body to say, you know, at this event, you get a limit of two tires or three tires per car type thing. Um, I, I see that as kind of a, a thing that full size motorsport does that our, our, um, our scale doesn't do very well um, in off road at least. Yeah. I mean, I kind of snuck that question because it is 
a big deal over here at the minute. Um, and there's kind of 50% are, are, no, it shouldn't be capped. Then the other 50% of it should be capped. I'm kind of sat on the fence. So it was interesting to get um, an outsider's kind of point of view on it for what they think. Yeah, I mean, we're probably getting a bit deep and meaningful about it, right? But the, you know, uh, the especially with how inflation's going at the moment and cost of living and all of that across the world, I, I see kind of tyres as, especially at these some of these big events where you're throwing on a new set every run, it's it's one of the biggest costs and cost prohibit, you know, uh, to to racing day to day. I see, um, and you know, how, how do you? keep those down and ensure ensure we make the hobby or sport you know viable for new people coming in and you don't have to tell them you need seven pairs of tires to be able to compete at this event um yeah it, it's a tough one um, it is the worst but, thing the worst thing about it is this rap, um, you know we always use we've used the word racing on uh, 50 times tonight but this is the thing with racing isn't it you know if you've got an rc car you can run up and down the street all year happy as larry as soon as you say you want to race and you want to compete it's going to cost you know i i agree you know chris 15 12 pairs 12 sets of tires for a weekend it's flipping ridiculous mate you know what i mean but i don't know where i would say is, is two sets enough is three sets enough you know, I mean, I don't even do national, so am I even allowed to have an opinion? <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's just a tricky question, isn't it? You know, me personally, I think three sets for a national. So you get a set that does both. Say practice is free. You can put whatever you want on. So if you choose to put news on, you can. Then you've got a set for quality one and two, a set for quality three and four, and a brand new set for your final. I think if there's three sets, I can't see why that should be an issue and why anybody would need to feel the need to cheat on that. Yeah. But I don't think cheating my opinion. Obviously people would people might try and cheat. Um but you know, it's just a, it's a lot of logistics, isn't it? You know, I mean, I'm speaking from what I've read on the internet recently, you know, who's gonna sit there and mark three hundred pairs of tires on the, in the morning? You know, because yeah. um, everyone's got the jobs, haven't they? It's not really fair on the scrutineers and all these volunteers yeah. of the club to have to sit there and mark three hundred sets of tires. So I don't, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, yeah. The rule set, rule sets are only as good as how easily they can be enforced. And generally, you know, I, th- I think it's the same over here as as over in in, in the UK, where yeah. it's all club based uh, volunteers, things like that. So yeah, it, you got to make things as easy as possible for for volunteers to be able to scrutineer and all that. And um, you know, talking of throwing tires at it, uh, do you do much indoor racing? Uh, into the winter do you have a real winter um uh, uh we don't have any uh, besides two to three small indoor tracks here up in kind of like the northern northern parts of australia yeah we don't have any indoor tracks okay. so um it, it's all completely outdoor so i mean our, our winter is not not a uk winter i mean we get down to you know in in my area minus one minus two celsius overnight type thing so it's not a proper freezing you know uh, negative 10 negative 20 um but uh yeah we we race we race all through on on the dirt that's class yeah yeah uh, you know like sometimes you come back from race meetings and you you want to throw your car in the bin because you, you just dread cleaning it um because it's covered in in mud and things like that but that's half the fun yeah do you, ever, do you ever do any eighth racing? 
Yeah, I, um, I think I, I call it my midlife crisis through RC. <laughs> um, I d- decided to to get into eighth nitro and uh, and quickly learn. You know that was a baptism of fire. You know, got it. Got a new. Got the new B three when that first came out yeah. from Team Associated. Um, trying to learn engine tuning, understanding. You know, you need a, a pit mechanic, all of that type of stuff. Yeah. I, I got into that, and I was. I felt like I was that deer in headlights yeah, again. And then you um, get on the track, and you realise it's not so much precision; it's getting your elbows out in the corners. <laughs> yeah, and you go. I mean, I feel. I heard uh, like Craig was on one of one of your earlier shows saying he tried it and like it never the nitro never meshed yeah. with, with his driving style. I was the exact same. The cars felt completely alien to me. I couldn't get that clutch point, and like it never felt right. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of I quickly stopped running that, um, and now I've got uh, uh, EP eight scale. And the, from day one, that I threw that on the track. I'm like, this feels good. Um, you know, like you connect it to the drivetrain, yeah. there's no clutch, all that type of stuff. Um, and they're really fun to drive, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I do a little bit of eight scale, but yeah, I uh, I learned my lesson with nitro, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I liked the idea of having a go at nitro, but over uh, at eighth. So I looked at it and I was like, that seems real. Like you said, it's like really deer in headlights. You're like, well, I've got no idea about this, I've got no idea about that. So I did the sensible thing and bought an e buggy. Yeah. The fastest <laughs> e-buggy in the country. It is ridiculously fast down the straight. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what we're suggesting to a lot of people that hear they're in one tenth to say, you know, they want to get into one eighth because it's bigger and they look cool and all of that. You go, try e-buggy first and see how you go because then you get used to the scale, you're used to the tyres and all that, and the tracks are, you know, huge, so your depth perception is completely different. Yeah. And so, um, as soon as they so, realise they can control them in the air as well. That's the, normally the yeah, final hooky yeah. point of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think getting getting into into nitro, even as an experienced like one tenth racer, it's not easy. Um, and there's all those other little things that you need to learn um, that that aren't written down anywhere. And but everyone kind of knows that's been running nitro for a long time. Um, and so yeah, you are uh, you got to acknowledge that you, you 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 really suck for a little while trying to figure out how to make an engine run and idle and last longer than half an hour, an hour main, you know, like it's, it's, it's a lot to, to take in all at once. So I, I really love the idea of easing in via EP, getting used to it and then seeing if you want to do nitro, but yeah, I think it's all personal preference. Yeah. I think my, my uh, dislike for the nitro is the noise gives me a headache and the fumes make me feel like I've got asthma. Pussy. So, yeah. I'll I'll stick to the E stuff going <laughs> down the straight. Yeah, last yeah. one. Hey, why do you always wear a t-shirt one size too small for you? <laughs> it's a really good question. I mean, like I'm a I'm a small I'm a small guy. Like yeah. I've I've got a you know uh, you know I'm vertically challenged. Um, so I, uh, you know, I've, I've got to look to scale. Um, so I, I try and I wear some tight fitting shirts just to, you know, in photos, make it look like I'm, uh, I'm six foot five. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, in reality, I'm, uh, I top out at a massive, uh, you know, five foot six, five foot seven. So, you know, anything I can get, um, <laughs> Brilliant. but, uh, yeah, 
I'd, uh, I'd quite often turn up to races and uh, and get the old uh, kid size eight or kid size ten today. I'd be like, oh, you know, kid size eight today. Yeah. Uh, so, Rush is vertically challenged in the same way. I'm I'm fortunate <laughs> in the fact that if we are watching a final, I can stand directly behind him and still see all of the track. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I um. I, I, quite often have to get like a little step or the box to stand up on the roster and you know just uh you know otherwise the controller hits the hits the rail and you're like God, you know you feel awkward so yeah i feel the pain class uh what's more important the fastest lap or the win it's my favorite question this is uh i if you were to ask me three four years ago i'd say fastest lap because i was I was like that guy at the track, like, you know, I got the fastest lap. You know, I'd look at it and go, yeah, peak speed, you know, potential. Um, but if you ask me now, uh, you know, fastest time of day, fastest race, fastest three consecutive, uh, you know, lowest consistency is like the, uh, you know, highest consistency is uh, is, is the best. Um, I, uh, I have personally, I've got one of those challenges where I, I, I was fast, but I didn't know how I was fast, um, and uh, and so I'd always just focus on fastest lap. Um, but really, that doesn't uh, that doesn't win your trophies at so the end of the day. How, how do you think your driving style changed? Or did you have, or have you made any conscious decisions to I don't know accelerate smoother or not get the thing lit up so much or not going hard on the brakes? What were the thoughts in your head to make you faster over a run rather than over a lap? I think the the like any kind of self reflection, we're kind of getting into the mental side of it. Um, and I, I got a lot of help from uh, from Ray on this one, uh, Ray Monday on this one. But it's more more about easing into a run. And yeah. you know, normally if you if you're fast but you don't know how, you enter you, your first lap is at a hundred percent. And so you can only and usually as we get more comfortable, we start pushing more and more and more. Um, so it was more about acknowledging start that first lap at like 80 percent feel the track ease into the run and then build because if you start at like 100 percent and you don't uh have the you know we're not all superstars we're not all a spencer rufkin or a, yeah. you know uh those types of the world so you, you know, gather, um, in, da- you gather about- in data on the first lap as well as well as starting the run yeah get comfortable build up and then try in your mentally in your head i was like okay well Let's let's hold it at that ninety percent level. Keep a little bit in the tank. So if you need a push, you can, um, but don't be at that maximum because max one hundred percent for five minutes is, you know, almost near on impossible. You know, it's it's hard. So you've got to kind of drive to your own ability. Um, so that that's kind of the way I, I I approached it. And then by virtue by doing that, you find yourself accelerating smoother and turning in not as hard and all of that type of stuff it just kind of all starts making sense um so it's just that mental thing um for me yeah cool yeah it's uh it's it's something that all of our young guys here as well struggle with we've got a few a few guys uh that you see that are like lightning quick and you can't get anywhere near their their fastest lap time um but they, they can't do that consistently. I, I'm in that same boat. 
Um, but uh, but you go, man, if you guys just toned it down by 10, 20%, you, know, there's, you there, would be killing it. There was a lad um, at our local indoor club, a um, place called Midlands Raceway, and all the kids were super fast over a lap. And it didn't matter if they overtook you because, you know, during the final, you know, if they overtook you early on, you know in four laps, five laps, you're going to come past them because they're on the roof. Um, and then within three or four weeks, these three or four kids just stopped crashing. <laughs> Literally, all of them stopped crashing, and they and they still stayed as fast. You know, it's like as soon as you realise, you know, you, you just got to drive a bit slower. Um, that's that's when the, the true speed comes, isn't it? When you realise you haven't got to be flat out everywhere. Yeah, and it built. It's one of those kind of. Um, uh, it's it's like a double negative, right? Where you you go, okay, I've got to run smoother, go a little bit slower, drive a bit easier, and then you start getting better results. And because of that, you get more confidence, um, and then you get faster and faster and faster. Whereas, you know, if you if you have if you're like a really fast, naturally gifted racer, and you take you around, but then every everything else is tenth, eleventh, or you know, de- you know, did not finish, you don't get confidence out of that. So it's kind of one of those you've got to button off to have decent runs to then build confidence and then suddenly like everything clicks and you start winning everything you know uh, it's it's one of those just psychological builders uh, for 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 anyone yeah um, I, I think no matter what what sport you're into um, so yeah, it's, yeah it makes uh, a big difference doesn't it being able to think about what you're doing you know. Um, the easiest way to describe what you're talking about, and we talk, I spoke to Ray about this in depth, um, and he was saying, you know, for, for you drivers out there, if you, when you drive down the motorway, um, I don't know, and all of a sudden you, you kind of click out and you've gone past five junctions, you're like, how did I get here? This is the kind of thing that you should be doing during the racing, whereas you, you're not really controlling the car with your thumbs, you just, you know, it's just happening around you. Yeah, it's that. Um, it's using using your, your subconscious to drive the car yeah. and kind of like muscle memory things like that. And then you can use the critical parts of your brain for, for thinking about, you know, what's the car doing in that corner? Where's this car on track? You know, how many laps are left? Yeah. Uh, all of that where you're, you're driving, your driving is taking care of itself, yeah. and you're actually actively thinking. It's like a separate part of your brain. I mean, you know, you know when. Well, when when you think about it with RC, it's crazy that, you know, you're controlling a car, so you look at the car, the car does something, you have to realise what the car's doing, you have to tell your thumbs to do something to correct it, and then this is happening hundreds of times a lap, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's when you think about, you know, what, how you're actually controlling the car, you know, is it, and when you say you, all of a sudden sometimes you can feel that locked into the car, that you actually feel like it's doing exactly what your mind's telling it to do, not your thumbs, they're, they're the best days. Yeah. Oh, and and the, those are the moments that even high-performance athletes search for where that kind of out-of-body experience where everything just kind of happens and clicks and yeah. you don't know how you did it or how you got there, but it all just works. And they're, they're that really high-performance thing that the best in the world can turn that switch on and off. Yeah. Um, it's all like sports psychology and everything like that. But, um, yeah, if you can get those moments in your, you know, when you're on the track, um, and it happens at the right events. You can, you know, you can do things you never thought be possible. I think you know, I think a lot of people call it being in the zone, don't they? Yeah. And Chris, you know something else? Your subconscious won't let you hurt yourself. So you're doing this. Say if you're doing this in a real racing car, driving, driving with your subconscious, your subconscious would pretty much be saving your life every lap while you were on the limit. It's mad, isn't it? 
I guess. I've, <laughs> I've never been in a real racing car apart from a go-kart, so I don't know. You never hit uh, that zone. Yeah. Right, cool, I mean, well. you know, if you're subconscious, yeah. I'll let you hurt yourself. I don't know what's wrong with my missus, then, because when she's driving, she's trying to kill us both. <laughs> 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 Class. Right before before we finish up, Andrew, I've got to ask you. Well, about the, I want uh, oh. I wanted to ask something, Russ. Sorry. Oh, go on then. Sorry. Might, yeah, might, we've got to talk about the. Um, obviously, you've had the six point four now for a few months, haven't you? Yeah, yeah we, have. Have been, we have. How have you guys been getting on with that over in Australia on your surfaces? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the the car's been been really good out of the out of the box for us. I mean, we've got some unique setup. You know, like um, unique setup uh, differences compared to say what a box setup would be, uh, say in the states for an indoor track. So, um, out of the box, we just applied some usual logic to the car of what we used to run on the 6.3. Um, but the the main thing, obviously, the front end change with the you know uh, the yeah outer hubs change and the the front kick. Um, you know, it was it took us a couple of race meetings to get our head around what's the right settings, you know, because all bump steer changes, things like that. Um, but we, uh, we, you know, kind of got it into a window where it was it was quite comfortable to drive. Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing that, that we're all still learning is the, is the new shocks, to be honest. Um, uh, those, those are definitely, for, for our stuff, on outdoor bumpy, a, a big improvement um, as far as, you know, jump landing and bump handling uh, for us. So, but I think we've still got a little ways to go to find out, find that sweet spot. Um, but overall, the chassis is for us fairly solid um, once we get it into that setup window that we, we need. How, how's it been over there for you guys? Um, pretty similar, to be honest. Um, obviously, the shocks are, again, the main learning point. Um, I think with the Astro, and the carp, we have not many of us have really done much on carpet yet. It hasn't sort of quite got to our carpet season. So, yeah, it's just learning. I think in, in like you say, in the bumpy conditions, the, they give you so much more confidence. Um, it's just playing around and finding that, that magic key that unlocks the speed. You can see the speeds there in the car when we get it right. But there's that magic key in there that, that you just go, ah, now we've found this. This is like even faster than ever. Um, I think we can yeah. see that the car's faster than the 6.3. It's just it's, finding it, out what's going to give us that performance on our tracks. Yeah. Well, like any car, I mean, yeah, I, I think the last, I think the last decade in RC, especially safer tool drive has been the, one of the more amazing decades we've had in, in, in that class. We've gone from, you know, say like to remoter to, you know, mid-motor stand-up shocks rear to mid-motor stand-up shocks forward, then lay-down transmissions, then, you know, weight distribution heaps more, you know, a lot f- further forward. So w- the cars have, are drastically changing. I think every iteration of a car, you know, it takes a little while to get on top of, you know, like when we first got the C4.2 here, you know, the B4 conversion, yeah. it took us a little while to understand mid-motor and, you know, getting you know uh forward drive out of the car um whereas now with the the new generation of cars we're going okay well how do we get more steering and more corner speed out of the car so i think fundamentally the cars change or you know every iteration that we get um and it it challenges you for the first few months to try and figure out okay what's the what's the sweet spot with this car 
um, and what what was the design intent. Um, and I think especially with the 6.4, it was keep as much rear-end traction as the previous generation, but make the front end, uh, you know, steer harder, steer smoother, and be able to carry more corner speed. I think that's the biggest thing I found with that car. Um, and it's just it's just playing around with what works for your track. Um, yeah, I mean, that leads me quite into something else I was going to talk about. Now, I know you're not allowed to give away trade secrets and all that. I, I wouldn't ask you to. But um, obviously, a, a website in the States accidentally listed a 74.2 the other week. Two weeks. Was it? I know. <laughs> obviously... We've been trying some things on the 74, the the O-rings in the shock towers and a few other little bits. Um, what would you like to see from the next iteration of that car? Yeah, I um, I I, I did see I did see a, a, a I think it was an online store poster poster 74 point you know two pre-order type thing. Um, I think uh, that was done because they saw you know a couple of online stores in the US have the 74.1 on special. Um, so that that's usually one of the indicators. Um, but uh, that, that's not the case. He's just had a new batch of 74.1s made, so there's still got plenty of that. Um, oh, to answer your question, I mean, I think we're, we're starting to see a lot of people apply, say, like the 13 mil, new 13 mil shocks from the two-wheel onto the four-wheel. So I think um, that's, that's obviously a really cool direction. Um, and personally running those on my four-wheel drive, it, that it is make it does make the car quite nice. Um, the uh, A have just released the new LTC diff gears, um, yeah. so they're like a smoother internal diff gear, um, yeah, higher rotation, better better traction out of corners. Um, they've just changed a few kind of uh, teeth counts internally and the the shear property of the the diff gears. Um, so that'll be a, a really good add, you know, value add to the car. Um, as far as like uh, bulkheads and things like that, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, um, uh, you know, we went from the 64, which had all the plastic gearbox and bulkhead and tower mount integrated, all in one mould. Um, that was that was pretty cool, and a lot of a lot of other manufacturers have done the same thing. Um, but you know, we've we found our way with the with the bulkheads um, and and the setup of that car, the 74 now. Um, uh, if if I had a crystal ball, um, I, I honestly couldn't read it to say which way they'd go. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, obviously there's getting some f- more flex out of the cars. A general theme um, everyone's been trying to do on the rear end, you know, running the you know the flexi braces and things like that. So um, yeah, it's it's a long-winded way of answering your question. Of I, I don't know what what the next iteration of the car would look like. I dare say it'd be a upgrade um not a total redesign but again i'm i'm not uh i'm not a part of area 51 and and uh have the uh have the the pleasure of looking at cad drawings and and all of that but it's um i'm excited to see what the next generation would will bring so what so, so what you're saying is andrew is like, like 14 days yeah uh in a roundabout kind of two way. weeks <laughs> two weeks 14 days whatever we want to call it yeah you know uh, half of a month, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but but definitely, you know, there's there's some um, there's some cool tuning parts, co- you know, coming out like the diff gears and all of that. So um, I think I think you know, the old dog yet. 
Yeah, there's definitely life in the old dog. And hey, I mean, like your guys over there are absolutely crushing it at the moment, right? You know, like you got Tommy and you know now like Marcus, you know, and, you know, just just crushing it uh, with, with that car, and obviously found a sweet spot with it. So um, we're still uh, we're still finding time in it yet. I don't think we've unlocked its full potential. Yeah, we noticed one of our uh, one of the team in the weekend had. Um... They were basically they'd managed to get the car down to, I think it was about a hundred grams, just off the off the minimum weight limit, and um, he reckoned it's totally transformed the car. It's going like, and he's made he made a B final. He's never made a B final before in his life. How did he, how did he lose national, the weight? Uh, titanium screws, titanium turnbuckles. Um, he's only running two gears in the diffs. I'm running the plastic diffs already, so they're already lighter. Um, But, yeah, he'd got it right the way down. And, um, yeah, he had a phenomenal performance with that car. It just looked amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I think the – I mean, our our weight limit here for full drive is, I think, just under 1,600 grams. Now, I think it's maybe, you know, uh, 1,590 something. Um, And definitely those that have the car down to, you know, that – Anywhere from sixteen hundred to seventeen hundred range is uh, is a is a sweet spot for I think a lot of four wheel drives um, on the market. You know, and as they get heavier, they become more inefficient and they don't drive as well. So, uh, like, I'd see there's some some easy easy weight savings out of the kit. You know, that everyone can use, like whether it be you know low profile batteries um, and uh, you know things like the the plastic internal diff gears. They save ten grams per diff. Um, so, you know, that's 30 grams there. Um, th- those types of things that aren't, aren't high cost, um, but give you a lot of weight saving yield, uh, are good items. You know, you can obviously go the whole hog of, you know, titanium screws and carbon this and, you know, lightweight that. Um, but it cost versus reward is, is, you know, it becomes fairly prohibitive. So it's all about finding the things that you can change on the car that you don't have to go and spend the same amount that, you, you bought the kit for to get it to a weight you want um so that's that's the that's the hard part yeah now it was just it's just interesting to see because obviously your lower grip surfaces compared to our astro traditionally over here for a lower grip surface we we kill as much weight as we can out of it because you've got to you know aggressively break and accelerate less weight that way so mm. we were just but then sometimes in the high grip, that extra weight can just stabilise the car a bit. Like in the two-wheel drivers, we tend to add weight just to yeah, stabilise yeah. the car, to stop it just flipping over. It's too light if you otherwise with the current power. because they're so fast. Yeah. Well, and the two-wheel drive out of the box. I mean, if you throw it, it on the scales and have a low-profile battery pack in it, it's almost underweight. Yeah. Um, so we're, you're generally adding adding anywhere from 30 to 50 grams to yeah, it. Mine, um, mine's so, underweight without the body on. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's uh, two wheel drives probably a bit too light, and the four wheel drives, you know, the on the other side. So it's getting them, you know, making one a little bit heavier, making one a bit lighter. But you know, personally, I think out of the box, they're 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 in that in that window. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Right, I've got to ask you this question before we let you go, mate, because we just ticked over the hour before we ask the famous ones. I need to talk to you about these resting with Ray photos that you're plastering the internet with. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mate, they are class. Um, is, is, is it like a is it like a long longest running joke ever? This that you take a picture of him every time he's asleep. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I, I, without going too much into a bromance, you know, like Ray's, Ray's, uh, you know, um, best mate. But um, and we've we've been travelling together since 2014, um, and uh, and I think it was the 2017 Worlds in China. Um, we had like a long layover in Hong Kong from Australia, and uh, you know, a couple of plane flights, and it was a it was a long slog, and every time. I looked over at Ray on the plane. He was asleep, and so I I just started taking photos and doing videos on the plane. And then every time we'd get to the next airport, I'd post them online. And then by the time we'd got to China, resting Ray had kind of become this thing to where like Brent Talkey came over to me and started talking about resting Ray and all of that type of stuff. So it kind of he, he became this entity unto his own. So. Then I felt obliged every time he was asleep after that to to take photos and and keep keep uh, you know the enigma that he's resting Ray alive. Um, so if uh, if you're on Facebook and, and you search hashtag resting Ray, there'll be a there'll be a fair few photos of either us at China, you know, us in the US or I'm you know gonna, Slovakia. Yeah, I'm going to post some on the uh, the Facebook wall uh, when I post this um, in a couple of days. I'm going to do it. They're, they're absolutely class. Um, yeah, keep up, keep up the good work, man. I've got a little battle going on with a guy called Nathan Rolls in the UK. We just have a little selfie battle every time I spot him. I'd, I'd run over and take a picture with him, um, and I'm I constantly get get mine uploaded before he does. So I'm, I'm Nathan. I'm just faster than you, mate. Um, <laughs> as simple as that. You know, if you if you if you listen, I don't know. Probably doesn't. No one else does. Um, let's ask the famous questions, Chris, and we'll, and we'll look at letting this young man go. Okay, so you obviously have. A litany of old cars. You said you wanted you to have kept most of your cars. Out of all your old cars, which which would be the one you'd choose to hit the track with tomorrow? Out of all of them. Oh wow, that is a really good question. Um, if I wasn't afraid that I'd break it, uh, probably my J Concepts BJ4 Worlds Edition. So the four wheel drive from J Concepts. Nice car. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I was one of the fortunate ones to get the original car, and then also turned up to Italy. And Jason handed me a bag of parts and said, "Here's the world's, you know, upgrade kit." And uh, yeah, oh, that car's got a, a special place um, in my head. Um, you know how, like, you know what it's always like when you get out a vintage car and you, you you've kind of painted it painted a better picture of your memory and yeah. that car was amazing and all of that and you drive it and you go no this doesn't feel right but you know I, I still think the BJ4 was one of the best feeling four drives I've ever driven so I'd, I'd happily put that on the track any day cool just briefly how did you get on at the Worlds in Italy sorry uh, what was you that you went to the Worlds in Italy did you say I, I, I did um, how did you get on there <laughs> I Oh, you know, like it was that one where, like, you know, that UK guy won two drive. I think, you know, like, what's his name? That Craig dude. Yeah, Craig. Nah, yeah, Craggy. Yeah, uh, no, nah, I, uh, I went to the world. Yeah, that was my first worlds. Um, and uh, I had a, I had a, a, I shouldn't say terrible experience, but my bags got lost on the way over there. So oh, no. I turned up, I turned up with no cars, no anything, and that was, you know, before I knew better not to pack your cars in your luggage and take them as carry on. Yeah. Um, 
So I turned up and had to scramble to get cars together. You know, like Jason Rona was kind enough to give me a, an entire car uh, of parts just to build there at the event. And, you know, like that was back when Mike Reedy was still around. Um, he gave me a motor to, to run and the LRP guys gave me everything. So that was kind of like a, a, a world for me that was humbling to, to see the support from everyone. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't do well at all. Um, I was like, I think in the, like the G or E, you know, yeah. uh, G or F main, you know, like, uh, it, but I, I, my, my, uh, my experience of the world was, uh, I don't know if you've seen, there's like that, there's that shaky low quality video of a three of two drive when Neil won. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was standing literally right next to the guy with the video camera, um, <laughs> watching that, watching that final. And it was like one of the, I will always remember every lap of that race. You know, um, that, yeah. Mental. When that, that Mayfield went over, I was like, no way. <laughs> Oh, and, yeah, and, and, and Cav was doing what Cav does, right? And he's just there, he's there, and you know, and, and you go, hang on, Neil's catching him, and and then suddenly everyone's, yeah, you can hear it in the background. Like, Come on, Neil, let's go! And then suddenly he's he's in the lead, and it was just um, it was it was honestly unbelievable to watch. And that track was was you know I still classify as one of the hardest outdoor worlds tracks ever. Yeah, yeah, it, it was no grip sandy we we're running like five cells instead of six cell batteries you know 14 double really smooth motors the fact that we could get a tool drive around that track was a miracle in itself and i think that's why neil did so well um yeah so uh yeah i've been been to italy um in you know, 05 worlds and then went to the worlds in china in 2017 worlds in slovakia in 2019 Plus, done things like Riga Race and you know a few other trips here and there. But okay. yeah, the 05 Worlds was awesome. That brings us on to our, our second famous question: What's your favourite track or venue that you've ever been to? Favourite track? I have to be slightly biased here and say my my home track here at Kiel. That's you know to me that's that's home. Yeah. Um. So that's my favourite track. But favourite venue. Um, honestly, was probably going to going to Hootie Arena um, in 2019 Worlds. Uh, that was as far as the venue uh, was unbelievable. A few, a few uh, people and, have said that. A few people have said it. Yeah, yeah. You go there and you realise you know, you've got five tracks. Three of them are indoors. Uh, you've got a cafeteria, a bar. Uh, you know, it, the infrastructure was just amazing. Um, so, yeah, that's my favourite venue. Um, and I'd, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. Nice one. Andrew, thanks for coming on tonight, mate. You've been absolutely brilliant. Um, good luck with your racing. But before we let you go, would you like to say thank you to anyone, friends, family, sponsors, long-suffering wife, anyone in particular? Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely the long-suffering wife. Uh, she puts up with me playing toy cars every weekend. And, you know, uh, yeah, thanks to her. Um, but... Uh, yeah, big, big thank you to you guys for for getting me on, and um, it feels like just a little bit of a, a social chat more than uh, more than a podcast. So thank you very much for being being so supportive. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, my, my people who support me, you know, um, Team Associated, Reedy, J Concepts, James Ainsley Designs, um, uh, they're they're companies that that 
if I didn't have the support, I couldn't uh, I couldn't do you know do do what I do and help support the team over here, um, and and more importantly to to you know my racing mates here you know um, Ray Monday you know and and the rest of the AE crew here uh, you know it, it just makes going to the track like you know a social event more than more than competition. So yeah, there's there's a lot of people that have that have been instrumental in my life, but um but. But yeah, the, the biggest ones are, are the ones I've mentioned. So yeah, I just want to thank everyone um, for for the support and and yeah, I I, I love this hobby and I'll uh, I'll keep doing it until uh, the love goes away. Um, and I, I don't think that will be uh, for a long time yet. Nice one. Thanks for getting out of bed for us, mate. We really appreciate it. That's right, I'll head off to work now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, off, we're off to bed. Uh, not together, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, nice one. Thanks oh, for coming no. on, buddy. Um, you'll have to hang up at your end. All right, cheers. Cheers, Andrew. Bye. And he's gone. How about that? You know, one take. Yeah, practice. mate. Um, yeah, it was an awesome, awesome chat. Um, it's really always interesting to see how... Have you uh, decided, Lee? Can you say that? The other yeah, half, like... How, other half the yeah, world? how people in... Yeah, how people in different parts of the world approach their racing, and obviously the Australians, you know, from everything we talk about, they're quite clinical with it. it, it yeah, and to hear about the different surfaces and stuff, it's uh, yeah, it's always good to mm-hmm. good to chat with them. Cool. Anyway, on to the big hitters. Yay! Did you go racing the weekend to the national? I was at the national. Yes. And how'd you get on? Yeah, it was all right. Um, two-wheel drive was full apart from a couple of spaces. Um, so it was really, really nice to see a um, a good turnout for that. It was really nice. And I think um, Martin said that there was the most amount of new entrance into a national ever. Oh, that's cool. So that was quite cool, yeah. Um, you know, nice to see. And there was a lot of younger kids as well entering. Um, obviously you've got the likes of uh, Freddie Russell's lad Ruben who did really really well had a really good result so well done to him um, I know Freddie's an avid listener so hopefully he passes that on to Ruben um, you know Harry Saunders drove really good both days on the sun- on the Sunday he was amazing like he out qualified me I don't know where he pulled his speed from but he was awesome did him in the final on the last corner though so you know. You're lucky, mate, because you didn't. I would have never let He's you quick. live it down. I was like, Harry, can you tell Chris? Remember that time I beat you at that at, at, um, torch? Yeah. Can tell him. Well, it'd have been even worse because <laughs> you know the four wheel drive is using my car from last year. <laughs> you still so got that from hearts. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> mean, he... to be honest, mate. If I'm 100 percent honest, I really don't mind if he does beat me. Yeah. Because the speed that that kid's showing uh, this year, in comparison to last year, is. He's had another phenomenal gain, and um, I think he'll be even faster next year because he's not going to waste a year doing truck nationals. Yeah. yeah. So how did so, you get on sort of final? Were you in Harry then? Um, final four. I can't remember what letter it was. Um, it was all right. I mean, I went from seventh or sixth. Was it sixth or seventh? Sixth to um, first on the first three corners. Um, but then I had a bit of a, an, a like a hay fever attack kind of thing. And my eye, my left eye was just streaming yeah. and stinging. I couldn't see. So I dropped back down to from first to about, I think I pulled, I dropped back down to about seventh or eighth and I pulled it back to sixth. But, yeah. you know, it was all right. It was, you know, not 
not my best final, not my worst, so right. nothing really to write home about. Um, and then four-wheel drive. Um, had a couple of bits. First run, um, had a decent banker, felt comfortable with the car. Second run, felt like I was absolutely flying. And um, I just clipped a corner and a front ball stood popped off. Oh, so it rolled off the track. Um, a passerby, not a marshal, uh, put the ball stood back on and I carried on. But it literally cost me exactly a lap yeah. um, to the point where when I was talking to Muzzy, he was like, I had to check because I, sure I was sure your transponder had just missed a lap, but it was just a bit too quick. So it was literally, it would have been the same if I'd have done yeah, my two I know you mean, you mean back two second, back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it would have been about a second faster than those. But it was like that, yeah, and that would have been an awesome time. That would have given me something like a 40th in round, which yeah. I'd have been if – if I'd have got a 40th in round in the National, I'd have packed up and gone, oh, I'm an happy man then. You know, <laughs> they'd have said, right, we're calling the meeting yeah. off. I'd have been like, sweet, see you yeah. tomorrow. But no, um, the set, third round, again, quick, but um, I got I had two martial mistakes and I got took out um, – the guy, fair play to him, you know, he apologised, he stopped and waited. It wasn't it wasn't like an intentional punt. It was just I went to go to go round him and he just he drifted out wide a little bit and just rolled me over. So no hard feelings for that. So what was the surface like then? Because I saw I watched some of the A final videos, um and some corners looked quite slippy. And that, what... it, yeah, it was it was really weird. It was like you had loads of rear traction. But it was just forcing the car to understeer. No matter what you did, it was front end. It was front end traction we needed. But yeah. the pro lines weren't working on the front really. It was just weird. Um, I was talking to Steve Brown about it. He was obviously the main guy there, and he just said the Astro is getting worn out. It's been down ten years now, um, and they're looking at obviously replacing it in patches and bit by bit. Um, so that'll be that'll be awesome to see because the track was all beautifully prepared you you couldn't fault the guys at torch for it they've done an amazing job as yeah, they mint. always do it, it looked awesome mate. yeah yeah um, and the facilities at their new place i don't know if you've ever even been to the old torch have you N- no but i did notice it was next to like a, a basketball court so is it like um is it on a school it's or something? a college it's a college okay. so it's like a sports college yeah. i think it is so um it's one of the only nationals that we've had where you've got access to like a shower facility as well on the night which is lovely yeah um it's only a couple of minutes down the road from the old torch, but no, amazing. And um, the guys from Torch were saying that they are doing a little program with the school where the technology classes are incorporating some of the RC cars stuff, and then they're going to come and race them on the track. So it hopefully gets some new people involved as well. Yeah. And there was loads of the parents from the football bringing their kids over afterwards to watch it. So it was it was a really nice way to sort of showcase our sport at the highest at the highest level, really. Yeah. Oh, bro, man, so, bro. Um, but I think we have got to uh, a couple of mentions. Uh, um, it's going to be mostly team associated mentions, but we'll throw one in for a shoey guy as well. Um, Jamie Hall, best ever result in a national. Tommy Hall, despite the fact he's won a European Championship, has never won a two-wheel drive national. So he won his first two-wheel drive national. <laughs> he did indeed, yes. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Ben, uh, ben Smith, there's your shoey one. Um, again, amazing race. First, I believe it was his first um, 
podium at a national. Yeah, and he won. He he won. He's, he's call it brilliant. He to drove, be fair, he, mate, he's called it he awesome turned, on the track. He turned, he turned yeah. his skill level up again um, this weekend, and then of course he got the goat, Mister Crag, who just won his twenty-sixth national title over four decades. And yeah, and one in every decade that's for mad, the last four decades. Isn't that crazy, that's, mate? Yeah. <laughs> that's like, you know, if you're going to set yeah. a record, yeah. let's set some records, you know. It's just like every, time no, I, it's, every time I see him post something on on the on Facebook, mm-hmm. I never post any words. I just post a picture of a goat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it was amazing to be there for that and to, to sit there and that. He didn't even know he could win it this weekend. He hadn't even looked. Obviously, he's really busy with uh, the new family starting. Yeah. And, having his new I mean I believe it's a son he said um coming in the next few weeks so uh yeah he's uh, he's earned a layoff at Robin Hood if he wants it now really so <laughs> um but yeah apart from that you know really good national very well very well ran again um you know there was some hoo-ha about supply of tires but I genuinely didn't have a problem getting any or from the usual sources so, yeah. No, class. Um, I went to Ledbury. Well, I had a couple of days off work last week, so I went to Ledbury with Bruce on, on Thursday. He was red hot. Um, mm-hmm. While we were there, they had about um, 15 rolls of new Astro delivered on the back of a massive skip wagon. So that was quite cool. Um, so they looked like we're going to be doing some work down there pretty soon. Was um, it new, new Astro or uh, like reclaimed Astro? Yeah, it was reclaimed, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was like a medium length pile well for for eight anyway um, you'd class it it's a bit, just a little bit longer than the longest stuff at Telford if you know what I mean so like me, me, yeah. medium length but yeah it looked good and it looked in good condition and stuff like that so yeah that's, that's sweet yeah, we spent I don't know how long we spent I think we got there about half past ten and we, and we came out we got home about five o'clock so we spent all day there yeah. just, just oh, doing that's laps good, then. Yeah, I took my tenth car as well, so I was running. I was running that round there. That was quite cool. While Bruce was running, and Bruce was running the nitro, so we had some fun games there. Um, yeah. And then we didn't bother racing this weekend. Um, one thing led to another, and we just I, I had things to do Sunday morning. Um, but anyway, about half past eleven, I, I, I was done, and Princess phoned me. He's like, "What are you doing?" I said, "Nothing. I'm on about going to Nemo. Why?" Um, he said, "Oh, I'm going to Kidderminster to have a mess with my my car and my shocks. Do you want to come?" I'm like, uh, "Hey, do you know what we're going to do nothing today?" And, he's, and it turned out he'd been talking to Craig. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I went. So yeah, so I literally loaded the stuff um, into the car. Didn't even have any batteries charged, and just took Bruce down there. So we spent four hours down there Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah. Just bang. Well, I was banging in laps. Bruce was doing laps, and uh, Jace was just messing with the shocks on his car. Um, a funny story. Have you ever seen those little timing boxes? Look like a little GoPro. You put it by the yeah, side of the track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Jason's got one. Yeah, well, Bruce had the monster truck out, and he was and he was wheeling up and down the straight. Um, and at Kidderminster, you know where you've got the, the straight, but in front of the container, you know they're widening the track a bit just by putting the hose up to the container. Yeah. Well, Jason put his at the far end, but on the ins- on the track, and Bruce came wheeling down the straight, didn't he? Um, and then his front wheels hit the ground and it just steered towards this little timing box and it bounced it right the way down the straight into yeah. the hedge. <laughs> oh, that was I was I was embarrassed. Oh, I was quite embarrassed, yeah. But um it it was working alright, so we all laughed it off. So yeah, that was it. Other than that, mate, um I've done nothing. Well at least you had a nice weekend doing something. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, what's the plans for this weekend? I'm um, going to have the weekend off this weekend. Yeah. Um, You're not even going to pop up to Oswestry and give us some support? Uh, is it four-wheel drive? Yeah. No. Um, and then I'm going to... Well, so I say we ain't doing nothing this weekend. I always say this, and then we always end up throwing the stuff in the car and going to, going to the track, you know. Um, so we might do something, but I've got no plans. But next weekend, we're at Ledbury for, for eight for eighth racing, so that should be quite cool. And that's going to be my first taste of retirement, that, Chris. Oh, it's coming. Because Bruce will be racing, and I'll be, and I'll be the one um, screaming at him from the pit lane. You're pitting, are you? Oh, pit dear. Bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, pit, bitch, pit, pit man and mechanic, mate. Yeah. So, yeah or so, boss and slave. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's a big, that's a, that's a, be quite a, it'll be an interesting experience. I might document it on a Facebook Live. Yeah. We'll see. Um, Good just going to qu- give a quick mention to Martin Hadley and um, Keep Your Heart Racing. They've managed to be all the fundraising really yeah. recently. They've managed to get defibrillators for every region in the country, bar one. And I think he said he was halfway towards that last one. So, yeah. uh, Martin, you've done amazing work, mate. You know, for the last couple of weeks, um, we feel like a couple of weeks. It's probably longer than that since Ian was ill. But the way, the way you've gathered momentum, mate, over the last month, six weeks, has been absolutely fantastic to watch. And I wish you all the best. I really do. Um, have you, what are you going to thoughts on that, Chris? I think it's amazing, mate. Um, obviously, there was the donation kitty made. There was the collections there. There was the meeting that. Um, Tony held the weekend at Telford in order to help raise some funds. Yep. Um, I believe we've only got one, is it one region left now to get a That's it, yeah. They've got one and there more. is there is still some more fundraising being done in I can't remember it might have been it was a Scottish club. I'm really sorry I can't remember it. Might have been Dunfermline maybe. Um I'm sure I'll be corrected on by that by Duncan. But yeah, it was uh it's been you know, it's amazing. I can't, you can't really say anything else, can you? The, the generosity of the races and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's been really good. Cool. Um, you got anything else you want to say, mate, before we, uh, were well, you racing this weekend, actually? Oh, you got Oswestry four-wheel drive? I've region. got Oswestry four-wheel drive, yeah. Wow. Uh, that, should so that should be, that should be a good, a good, you know, good meeting. Um, you know, four-wheel drive, it is what it is. Cool. Uh, do you want to thank sponsors, mate? And we'll call it a night. Uh, yeah, mate. So thank you to CML Distribution, to Schumacher Racing and Will Speed Racing. Christmas is again coming, getting closer week by week. So if you want a, a shot at getting some of the goodies that these guys do in our yearly competition, uh, give, us a share, give us a like, give us a share, and you'll get an entry. Cool. And I'll thank the listeners. Guys, thanks very much for getting involved with our Car Crash for podcast that we lovingly produce for you every week in one take. Um, massive thanks to our guest, Andrew, tonight for coming on. Um, mate, you're awesome. Thanks very much. And once again, thanks for getting up early and getting out of bed to come speak to us a couple of idiots. Um, Chris, that's it. I will probably see you on the internet to hurl abuse at you, but if, but before, if I don't see you before then, I will see you next week, mate. Okay, mate. See you next week. Take care. See you later.